2 Timothy chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 16. Those are the primary passages we're going to look at. There are a lot of other references we're going to have this morning. But I'm going to continue the series I've started. And, and it was probably a terrible time of year to start a series because we're fixing to go into Christmas, which brings on a Christmas series. And, and so we'll be preaching uh, some topical Christmas uh, sermons in the, in the days to come. But... Um, uh, th this is probably a series we'll actually continue into the new year even. So, but the title of it is this, is Back to the Book. We're, just, we're looking at this idea of going back to the book and the importance of that. So as we read, as we read last week, I just want to pick up, kind of, kind of review a little bit, and then, and then we're going to move forward. But first, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We read this last week. We read it again this morning. It says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will purge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And Paul challenges Timothy here, and it's really a challenge to all of us as believers. He says, preach the word. Right. It wasn't just an admonition uh, and an exhortation to Timothy. That's an exhortation to all of us as believers is to preach the word. Now, we have this idea that preach is standing up here behind the podium, and, and, and uh, I know... We did a study on fear. Most people fear public speaking more than they fear death. So that, that tells me most people don't want to be up here. Um, but that, that, that's not what this necessarily means. What it says is preach. Preaching the word isn't just this is preaching, but preaching is when we, when we proclaim the word of God. We proclaim the truths of God. That's preaching when we share it with others. That's preaching. So preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. We should always be ready to, to share our faith, to give the reasons that we believe what we believe. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Those are things we've lost today in a lot of ways. And we'll talk more about that later in the message. But, but convince and rebuke and exhort. Uh, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, the time has, 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 was then. And the time was the next century and the next century and the next century. And, and, the, and it really is a time that's rearing its head in our day today here in America. We're in a time where they will not endure sound doctrine. There are many churches that will not endure a man standing in the pulpit and preaching the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. We're not, I'm not here to preach my opinions. I'm not here to preach thus saith Conrad. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to teach from the word of God. And there are many who have turned away from that. To the point, it says, uh, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So what does that mean? They're going to they're gonna get those who will tell what they want to hear. They'll say what they want to hear in the way they want to hear it. They, 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 those that aren't going to tell them that sin is sin. They're not going to challenge them to change their lives. They're not going to deal with them about the accountability we have to an almighty God. Amen. For they will turn their ears away from the truth. And we see that. And folks, we have to be careful because in the church often we, we want to point our fingers at the lost world. where they're turning away from the truth. Look, we, we're doing it in the church. We have folks that, are, that have grown up in the church and, and are turning their back on God and walking away. We have churches that are just turning their back on God. Throw the book out. Well, let's just cut parts of it out. We don't like that. We don't like that. We don't, that part's not good. Oh, love. Yes, we'll embrace love. But love has been twisted. It's not, it's not the whole counsel on, on the topic of love. It's just some little blurbs here and there. And we pull that out and then create a God to fit what we want him to be. It's idolatry. It's false religion. That's what's going on. And be turned away aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. That's the admonition to us. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, it, it is time that we get back to the book. Now, how many, of you, how many of you like football? Raise your hand if you... No, raise your hand if you don't like football. That might be easier. What is wrong with you people? Raymond, I don't know, man. What is wrong with you? Oh, okay. Raise your hand if you have no idea what football is or anything about it. All right, right. A couple. All right, we got a couple. I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. I don't, you know. All right, so I'm going to use a little illustration here in a moment, and you may not have a clue what I'm talking about, all right? But, but uh, maybe the rest will at least get what we're talking about. There was a man named Vince Lombardi. 
And a lot of you have heard of Vince Lombardi. Lombardi, there's a trophy name for Vince Lombardi today. And it's the trophy that is presented to the Super Bowl champion every year. So they gave it to the Buccaneers last year and Tom Brady and, and uh, those guys. And that's them. They hold that trophy up. It's got a football on the top of it. And it's silver. It's a pretty trophy. And, uh, and, and so Vince Lombardi was a coach back in the, probably in the 50s, but he went into the 60s. He won all types of championships before it was the NFL. He won a couple, I think, still with the Green Bay Packers. So Lombardi was, many would consider, one of the greatest coaches ever. And there was a time where at the start of the year, as he's bringing his team together, he said, you know what, we got to get back to the basics. So what Lombardi did is he got all these guys together. Now remember, these are professional football players. They've been doing this since grade school they played. They played through middle school and through high school and into college. And now they're, they're getting paid, probably not getting paid a lot back then, but they were getting paid to play football. They're professional athletes. They, they understand football. They understand the game. But Lombardi said, you know what, even with these guys, we got to get back to the basics. And so Lombardi pulls out one day and he gets the guys and he says, all right, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> now remember, he's talking to professional football players like, duh, coach, we know what a football is. Raymond. Feel that one. That's a Tom Brady football. It's, it's deflated. Brent, Brent's got the Tom Brady special. All right, so that's the... <laughs> so that's the, that's the idea of what he was... And what he was saying was, look, we, we need to go back because if you're going to be great at football, you've got to understand the basics. Well, the basics start with that. This is a football. Ladies and gentlemen... We need to do the same thing. This is a Bible. Amen. This is the Word of God. Amen. And we can get caught up in all of the intricacies and all the, the detail of stuff. And we get caught up sometimes on things that don't even relate. We, 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 we're so far removed from the book. We're doing stuff and we don't even refer to the book. We've got to get back to the book. I mean, that's what we need in our lives today. That's what we need in the church. That's what we individually need is we need to get back to the basics. So as we looked at last week and we talked about last week that th this book here is God's word. It is, it is what God has spoken to us. It is everything that's in here is not from human writers. It's from God. It is God inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that phrase there, uh, given by inspiration of God, that was that theopneustos, which is God breathed. Literally, it is God's breath. It was, it was the breath, that you know, the wind that drives a ship. It's the pneumatic air that drives a, a, an air drill. But, it, but it, is, it is God speaking to those men who held a pen in their hand and they wrote what he told them to write. It was not individual men that wrote what they wanted to. Imagine, imagine that for a moment. 66 books. If I took 66 of you and I said, all right, you've got a project for one week. You can't talk to each other, which this really doesn't work because you're here now all together. These guys were over 1,600 years, these men that were writing. But 66 books written by 40 different authors, they wrote these books over 1,600 years in, in, in I think it's three different languages on a, on a couple of different continents. And you bring it all together, you bring it all together, and there's no conflicts there. There's no contradiction. The Word of God, when put together, this inspired of God, Word of God, they didn't have a clue. I take 66 of you and I say, all right, go write a chapter for our book. Well, what do you want me to write about? Well, I'm not telling you that. You, you, you're just going to write. You're going to write a chapter. And if we bring those 66 together, the chance is none of them will even make sense together at all. None of them will. You might find a little obscure thing where somebody used the same name. Well, John here and John there in chapter 50. But, but it would not make any sense whatsoever. And yet God inspired this, so he breathed. He's, it's like he stood behind them as they stood, sat there with a pen, and he told them what to write. Folks, that's what we have today in the Word of God. It is God's Word to us. Zero conflicts. This entire book flows with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It flows with his blood. There is a, a, a scarlet thread 
that weaves its way from cover to cover. And it speaks of Jesus. Now, the Bible is not a collection of Jewish myths or folklore about what God might be like. And it's not the view or, a, or the views or opinions of, of what spiritual people thought about God at that time. Neither is, is it that these people were uh, inspired to write this book, this Bible, in the same way that Shakespeare was inspired. Some would say, well, it's inspired. Well, we use that word. It just means you were moved, you were motivated. No, God moved them. God inspired them. You know, Shakespeare was inspired to write plays and Beethoven. Beethoven was inspired to write music. Van Gogh was inspired to paint. But it was not God inspiration in the sense of this. This is God's word. He inspired it. He told them what to say. So the Bible is a book which is God breathed. It is divine revelation from God himself to humanity. And the book owes its origin and contents to his divine breath. So as God breathed the breath of life into Adam, he has spoken his word to us through men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're at. We have today the inspired word of God. It is God's word. Now, it's not hard for me to imagine that an almighty God who can create anything can speak to men and write this Bible. There are those who cannot wrap their mind around that. We of faith, we have no problem accepting that and understanding that because our faith is in an almighty God. Amen? So we, we, we hold to that. We hold to it. It's a, it's a key part of this that the word of God is inspired by God and it is his words. This isn't words about God. This is, though it is, but it's words from God. Amen? Okay. So let's, let's look at a few things. We're, we're, we're not going to be here. You'll be, out, you'll be out in plenty of time to get the Cracker Barrel. Okay? So if you have jelly and you want to get the Cracker Barrel this morning, you're going to be there in plenty of time maybe to beat the crowd this morning. All right? So number one, the content of the book. The, the Bible contains the revelation of God's mind to man. He has revealed his mind to us. Uh, now, God's natural revelation, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but God's natural revelation testifies of his greatness. When we're talking about natural, we're talking about nature. Everything that he's created, as we look around, you see the natural revelation there. And, and so you have in Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. So all of his creation, if we'll look and we just, all we got to do is look with, a, with, a, with, a, with a, an open mind of this. Instead of with an anti-God mentality, we look around at the creation and to go, oh yeah, this just happened. You know the stuff they're saying now? They're, they're not even saying now that it, it, that it would happen, well it may have happened from a big bang, but they're saying aliens, they're saying aliens created life from nothing. That the Big Bangs was, were, were these aliens somewhere off somewhere, these giant aliens. Apparently they're really giant because they've got our entire universe in a petri dish and they've created life. Now who are you calling crazy in, in fanatical about what we believe? We believe because God has revealed to us. And we have a book that is authoritative because God gave it to us. We're not blindly making something up because we want to reject God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Not, not that there is no God and not that they even really believe there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. It is an intentional throwing off and rejection of, of the authority of submitting to a, if there is a God, you know what? We're not him, amen? amen? And if there is a God, and there is, then we're accountable to him. Right. And we don't like that. That's that sin nature, that pride in us, that pride nature. We want to be the boss. We don't want to be accountable to someone else. But all of God's creation reveals to us his greatness. But it is the special revelation of his word that testifies also of his grace. When we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 15... But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The grace of God. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man, the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace. Not just grace. Abundance of grace. 
and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So through revelation, so we look around and we see the greatness of God, but it is through special revelation, it is through the miracles, it is through the prophecies, it is through the, 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 the speaking through those prophets, it is the word of God that has been given. It is through this, this special revelation of the word of God that we find, about, find out about his grace. We understand who we are and what we need and what he has done for us. It has all been revealed to us. 18th century English pastor John Lewis, he refers to the Bible as God's self-disclosure. And he wrote this, he said, The Bible presents us with a most exalted understanding of God's true nature as creator, judge, and redeemer. It shows us our true nature. The central claim of the Bible is that it preserves for us God's special revelation of himself. Dr. Clarence Sexton, who is at... uh, uh, he, he's the founder and, and uh, the head of, of Crown College up in Knoxville, the Knoxville, Tennessee area. Dr. Clarence Sexton said this. He said, God doesn't tell us everything he knows. He tells us everything he wants us to know about, speci- uh, specifically the things he wants us to know about himself. God has revealed everything that we need is there. Everything we need is here in his book. So number two, the theme of the book. Well, this is simple. So the theme of the book is salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the theme. That's that's what this book is about. God has revealed to us and he has shared with us that the the way of man's greatest need and and, and how how we came about. It's interesting, you know, there's a couple of chapters in the book there about creation. He, he, and, and, but you go to Exodus and, and you can read about the, the, the wilderness tabernacle, page after page after page after page of the details of that. And God says, look, I created. It's not a big deal. I love it in Genesis where he, he creates the sun and, and the moon and the stars also. The billions and billions of galaxies with billions and billions of stars. And God just says, and the stars also. It's not a big thing. We're like, what? God's amazing. But the theme of the book is salvation through Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 24, verse 25 through 27 says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures. Wherever you turn to um, in the scriptures, you can find Jesus. You can find the gift, the story of salvation. It's all interlaced in there. We can find it. So the theme of the book is simple. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Number three, let's look real quick at the book on the book. So what does the book say about the book? What are some ways that the book describes itself? Well, when you look at the subject of the Word of God, in John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The subject is the Lord Jesus Christ. The stability of the Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 24 and 25. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. Verse 25. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Now this is the Word which by the gospel was preached to you. Number, the, the third thing there, so the study of the Word of God. The study of the Word of God. The Word of God says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's the wise man. It's the wise man that studies the Word of God. The simplicity of the Word of God. The simplicity. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And, and that from childhood. We, we so often, we're worried about our kids. Oh, we've got to teach the Word in an age-appropriate way. God has already done that. 
the word is written to all of us. And it says here that from childhood, do y'all realize that back in the, it still goes on today, but little children are learning the, the, the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They're learning it, memorizing it, can quote it all the way through. We have trouble with memorizing a verse. I'm not against teaching our children in some age-appropriate ways. But folks, our kids have minds that are sponges. And they may not understand everything, but you can bring your children in here. I promise you, they're picking up a whole lot more than you can imagine. Don't sell them short. Because the Bible, the Word of God, is the Word of God. It is His inspired Word. And He uses His Holy Spirit as the Word of God is presented. The Holy Spirit of God is working through that to teach. The Holy Spirit's the greatest teacher. I come up, I pray often, Lord, take these lips of clay and and this this puny little mind and and use whatever effort I bring here. Use it, God. May they hear things I didn't say for the good. Take what, what I preach and what I proclaim and may the Holy Spirit of God use it in a great way. So the gospel, the, the, the word of God, it's simple, folks. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The sovereignty of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verse 12 there. For the word of God is living And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is so powerful, and the Holy Spirit of God uses it in our lives to to reveal to us the truth, to to show us. When you're talking about it's dividing... It's dividing even soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's the discerner of our thoughts and our intents. When we read the Word of God, we're not, we can't lie to the Word of God. We can't lie and deceive the Holy Spirit. We may try to deceive ourselves, but the Word of God, he, he, the, the, the Lord is using that and will speak to us and will show us those things in our life very clearly. And then lastly there, we have the scope of the Word of God. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, the scope. So how broad is this? Look, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The scope of what the Word of God does and can do in our life is amazing. Number four, the usefulness of this inspired scripture. The usefulness. So if you, if you flip back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and we've, we've looked at this last week and we'll continue to, to look at this scripture. But again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every Good work. So again, the Word of God is inspired by God. All Scripture is given by His inspiration. And it says, and is profitable. So is the Word of God, is it good for us today? Is it useful for us today? Well, the Word says about itself here, it says it's been inspired by God and it's profitable. It's profitable. Well, profitable means it's helpful or serviceable. It's advantageous. So therefore, the inspired Word of God is advantageous in our life. It is profitable for us. And for what cause? For what purpose? And it says for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. What are those things for? Why why would those things be there? That the man of God may be complete, mature, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God as a whole, that's the things, those are the things, and we're going to break those, we're going to look at those real quick here, is that the, the Word of God is profitable for, first of all, um, doctrine. So inspired scripture is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, okay? So as a young minister here, Timothy's being reminded of the importance of using scripture rather than personal opinions, personal testimony, or any other resource. Now, that's not to say those things can't be helpful in supplementing and illustrating, but that should not be the basis of our teaching. The basis of our Christian teaching is the word of God. We go back to this, not what's popular in communities today, not what, what the, the society as a whole is saying. Do you realize that, that a lot of the young people today, truth is what the majority says. Yes. You get five of them at a table, if three of them said the, che- the moon's made of cheese, that's consensus. Oh, we've got five of it. There's three of the five, so the moon must be made of cheese. Now, I know that all the young people aren't that way, but that is the, that's, and that's kind of a facetious statement, but there is a lot of this where the younger people are, I, I be careful. I say the younger people. I see a lot of that foolishness in our older people too. In the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. Because we want to believe what we want to believe. And we love it when we can find somebody that agrees with me in, the, in what I believe. Oh, yeah. I don't believe that about the Bible. Do you believe that? Oh, well, you're, you're just a fanatic. I don't believe that about the Bible. Do you believe that? Oh, well, you're just a fanatic too. I don't believe that about the Bible. Do you believe that? Oh, you don't believe it either? Yeah, we're right, aren't we? That's what, that's what a lot of folks are doing. But it's good for teaching. This is what we should be teaching. I can remember as a, um, when I first got saved, uh, first church I went to was a little Southern Baptist church. And, and I remember as I, I didn't know a whole lot, but I can remember hearing some talk. And we had a few people in the church that were more concerned about what the Southern Baptist Convention said than they did about what the Word of God said. I don't care where you go. And I don't care what document you want to use. Nothing takes precedent over the Word of God. We're a Southern Baptist church. And if the Southern Baptists go crazy, we just won't be a Southern Baptist church anymore. We're we're going to be a Bible-believing church. We're going to stand on the Word of God. So inspired scripture is profitable for teaching. Inspired scripture is also profitable for reproof. Now this is, this is a word we don't like today. Let me just preface this. We don't like this word reproof. So what, what does that mean? Well, it's the same word that's in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when it says there, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince. That word convince, it, it, it's really the same word there. It's reproof. So reproof, what does it mean? It means to prove to be wrong, admonish, convict, convince. Tell a fault to rebuke. Mm, we don't like that. Amen? Amen. I'm just, I, I don't. I don't. I, I mean, you, raise your hand if you just love being rebuked. <laughs> you know, we don't like the word. I don't even like the way it sounds. Rebuke sounds like puke. I mean, it's just not good. <laughs> it's just not good. So rebuke. Well, nobody likes that. When you're you're called out because of of the sin in your life or or a wrong attitude or a wrong action or a wrong, you know, you're you're, you're taking this and twisting the word and to be rebuked. We don't like that. But that's what reproof is. It is a rebuke. It is pointing out wrong. And and what this is, all scripture is given by God. It's, It's by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for the teaching, but also for the reproof, for pointing out wrong in our life. So we've got to get past this, well, I I just feel, or you know what, I think, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. And when His Word says to me that I am to forgive, well, I know what the word says, but you don't know what they did to me. Oh, let me look. No, God doesn't care. <laughs> he, just, he just said forgive. Hmm, interesting. 
Now, he does care. Please don't, don't hear that the wrong way. He does care. But he doesn't care whether they apologize or not. He tells us to forgive. As Christ has forgiven you. Ooh. So when we look to the Word of God, it, it provides reproof. And so when we read it, but you know what? Maybe that's why we don't read it a lot today. You know, statistically, um, a lot of people right now may not even know where their Bible is. I'm not sure. It might be on my nightstand. It might, it might be on the table where I do some reading. Um, but it's not with me. I don't, I'm not sure where it is. But maybe that's why we don't read it day to day. Because when we read the Word of God, it speaks to our heart and it convicts us. It brings reproof and it points out the wrong. Scripture is living and it's active and it shows both the positive and the negative in our life. Look, you're reading the Word of God and you're doing things right. The Word of God will encourage you. I mean, it's, it's exciting when you go, Wow, yes, Lord, that's right. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We just read this. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, a man named David Wilkerson said this. He said, the church is obsessed with entertainment and there exists a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof inside our walls. We have it. And when you get confronted with, this shouldn't be this way. Well, you don't know. You just don't know. And I don't care what you have to say about it. And I don't care what the Word of God says. No, nobody would say that. They do. They do. We do. We may not voice it. Folks, if we continue to do what we know we shouldn't do, well, we're, we're doing the same thing. I don't care what God says. Him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So you can sin by sinning or you can sin by not doing what's right. It's sin. So the Word of God shows that to us. Oh, that's terrible, man. I'm laid open here. I got this wound now. But look what number the third thing there. It says that it is profitable for correction. It's profitable for correction. So not only does the Word of God point out our wrongs, but it also shows how to correct the course and do what's right. So he doesn't just convict us and, and, and show us this is wrong in your life, but he gives us the antidote. He gives us the way to correct that, to fix it, to get that fixed in our life. So then there's the correction. Scripture is profitable. Number, the fourth thing here, the, the Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. So just as an athlete has to regularly prepare, they have to work out. Man, the professional athletes today, I mean, they're, they're amazing. They, and even the college athletes. I, I love college football. It's one of my favorite things. I watched some football yesterday. I watched this team. Um, what team was that? Oh, yeah, it was that Georgia team. I watched them play yesterday. That team from, they're a little team from Georgia. And uh, I was watching them play. But those athletes are just amazing. But it, it's unlike it was even, even you know, uh, uh, that's a long time ago now when I was in high school. It was different. It was different. Even the way we trained was different. The way those guys eat back in those days, the professional athletes in 1980, totally different than the guys today. They work so hard. Everything that they do to be great at their sport, their whole life centers around that. The amount of sleep, the way they eat, the way they work out. Everything is, is, is about doing their job. You know, uh, a believer, we ought to regularly train by studying the Word of God. And if we, and if we do that, if we study the Word of God, folks, then we grow. If we don't, we don't grow. There, there, there's, there's no, there is no in-between there. If we don't study and spend time in prayer with God, we're, we're, we're not going to grow. But I promise you, you start reading the Word of God, you go, I don't know where to start. Uh, it's like, a, well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So you take the Word of God, you open it up. I don't know where to start. Start with John. You don't know where to start, I'll get, I'm going to help you right now. Go to John. Go to John. Read a chapter a day. You don't even have to read a chapter a day. If you're not used to reading, read 10 verses. Read, read three verses. Read until you get something that you can chew on for a little while. And then why don't you spend the rest of the day just thinking about what you've read. That's right. Just think about it. Meditate upon it. Maybe write the verse down. Man, that verse spoke to me. Write that verse down and throughout the day you go back to it again and again and again. Quote it over and over and over. 
Start committing it to memory. Man, that verse, that helped me. I need that. I'm going to apply that. And, and, and so it's helpful in training for righteousness. But you neglect that. And, and, we, and you know, you wonder, you quit, you quit eating. Wow. If I did a survey, I, I, don't, I don't know. Now, I, I often will eat two meals a day. And that's not the healthiest, I know. I, I should eat breakfast. I'm terrible. I get up in the morning. I'm not hungry in the morning. Raymond and I were talking about this. Raymond loves breakfast. And, it's, and it, I mean, he's fit. I'm not. You can see the difference. He eats right in the morning. I don't eat right until later in the day. And, and it, makes a, it makes a big difference what we do there. But I'll eat twice a day. Most of us are eating three times a day. Taco Bell is even pushing fourth meal, right? They push that 11 o'clock, go out and get you some tacos, so fourth meal. So some of us might eat four or five times a day. Some of us never stop eating during the day. You know, it's like a continual grazing period. But we don't miss, we don't miss meals, do we? We, we don't miss the, the, I know I shouldn't eat another piece of pie, but I'm going to. You know, we shouldn't do those things, but we do. And yet we'll neglect the most important nourishment in our life, the Word of God. Man, so it's so important that we do that. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. 2 Timothy 4.1, going back there. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Man, what a charge Paul gives right there. He's charging Timothy before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. That sentence right there, that's not a light encouragement to preach the word. This is a strong charge that he has given Timothy and that he gives us today. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And he says convince, and we already talked about what that means. That's the, the word for rebuke, to convince. To, uh, the next word, uh, or, or to reprove, the next word is rebuke there. And that's to express sharp disapproval or criticism or, of someone because of their behavior or actions. You know, we, we don't like that. We don't like that. And people say, well, we're not to judge. I'm sorry. If you look up what verse 2 in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 right there, it says rebuke. What does rebuke mean? Express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. It is to censure, censure or admonish by implications to forbid. We don't like that. We don't like to be confronted when there's sin in our life. But the Word of God right here tells us to do that. Now, why would we do that? To bring us back in right relationship with God. It's not to be here and go, I'm better than you. Well, that's being judgy if that's the case. If it's just about me being better than Todd, good luck with that, preacher. But if that's what it's about, if that's what it's about, you know, that there's harshness in that. There's coldness. There, there's a, 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 an anger and all in that. But if it's about Todd, this is wrong. This is sin. The Bible makes it very clear. We're trying to convince you and help you to understand you cannot live that way as a believer. Don't judge me. That's what we want to do. We don't want to receive what is being given. But the scripture is very clear there to rebuke. But I love the next word, to exhort. What is exhort? It's strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. So it's all designed to bring someone back into right relationship with God and in right fellowship in the church. Amen? Amen. This is what scripture says. I was talking last week about we don't like this. You should not judge. We are to judge, folks. You should be judging me. Don't be judgmental, but do judge. When I preach, you should be, you should be looking at what I'm teaching and going and, and, and reading it and, read, and go, it, it, that's right. That's what he said is right. Now, if what I said is wrong, I've told you. You, you can come to me about anything. Please come in the right way, though. Okay? I, I try not to come with guns blazing. Right? I try not to. So please don't come at me with guns blazing. Just say, preacher, I need to talk to you. I don't, maybe I misunderstood. I thought this is what, I don't believe that's right. Let's talk about it, okay? Does that make sense? 
All right. That's why we should approach everybody. We should help each other. It's about exhortation, encouraging, not just encouraging, strongly encouraging. Can Can I share, Chris, what happened this morning? Can I share that? Are you, are you okay with that? All right. I, I appreciate that. And Chris is going to turn red because he's a shy guy. But I love this guy. I love this guy. So I had, we had asked Chris to pray over these boxes. Anybody here, anybody here a little shy? Raise your hand if you're shy. How many of you would be very uncomfortable if I said, I want you to come up here and I want you to pray out loud in front of everybody? Raise your hand. Be, be honest. Okay. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. But... Uh, we, we talked about that, and Chris this morning was talking with Pastor Aaron, and he said, I don't, I don't think I, I don't really want to do that. And I, that's okay. They worked that out. But I texted Chris, and I told him, I said, Chris, here's, here's why I did that. Not to be mean, because he's probably thinking, that preacher's obstinate. He knows I don't like to do that. He's just being a jerk right now. He wants me to come up here. But what I told him was, the reason I do that is to encourage him. I, I'm going to put him in, in situations to grow, because I see Chris... Chris is a growing leader in our church. I see a man right there that God's got his hand on, and he's, he wants to serve, and he's, and he's growing. Here's an opportunity to grow, because sometimes leadership requires us to do things that are uncomfortable. When I was 14, 15 years old in the church about this size, and I'd get recruited to help with offering, and I think I've shared this, and we would come down front, and that we had the table and the offering plates were there and there would be four of us one there, one there, one there, one there but we'd stand right here and I would come up and do this because if I don't look at him he can't see me (laughs) and he would call on me to pray and here's a kid that's been saved a year and I'm shy, I'm insecure I hate public speaking the whole deal but there wasn't no getting out of it and so, I, and so I did it, and it's one of the best things that has helped me to grow, even from then, helped me to grow. But what I, what I noticed, I didn't tell Chris what he had to do, but I, I heard from the pool that Chris was up here praying. And I'm proud of him for that. Amen. I'm proud of him. And, uh, but that's what exhortation is. That's how we encourage each other. We help each other to grow. I need exhortation. I need, I need some water on me sometimes to help me grow. I need a little sunshine to, to help me to grow. We all need that, amen? amen? And we ought to be looking for those opportunities to, to encourage each other, amen? amen? Okay, so the Word of God does these things in all our lives. And so as we, as we get here to the end, I, I just want to share this because when we think about these things, what we just saw, uh, of how the Word of God is. We preach the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. And we see the Word. It, 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 there's, it brings reproof. It brings rebuke. And it exhorts us. I mean, that's the way the gospel works. So, you know, it's by the Word of God that we know that Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden, right? That's how we know that. We know that sin came into the world. And sin passed upon all men. And so Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. Does that mean a few sinned or some sinned or the select, the select people sinned? No, all. The, the, if you go back and look at the original language, all means all. It means all of us have sinned. We're all sin- sinners. And by that sin, we have been separated from God by that sin. How do we know that? Because the Word of God tells us that. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And we know what wages are. It's payment. It's what you have coming to you. You go to your job and you work. You have wages coming to you. Well, the wages of our sin is what we have coming to us. And the the sin, the wages of that is death. It's death. And it's not I die and I cease to exist. It's that I die. And when I die in my sin without a relationship with Christ, I live eternally separated from Him. We've never known separation from God. Even as a lost person, we have His his favor in this world. We have His sunshine. We have His rain. We have His air. All of this. He is there and He's working in our lives trying to bring us to faith. And if we reject that and we die in our sin, the wages of that sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gift that God offers us is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. 
For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now, scarcely for a righteous man. Somebody's really, man, what a guy. Somebody might die. Scarcely somebody might die for that. But yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. None of us were good. The Bible says none of us are good. No, not one. Yeah, it's a joke kind of around here now because I've shared with you somebody. We used to say, you know, how you doing? You go good. And he'd go, no, none are good. No, not one. Every time I saw him. So I got to where I would never say I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I am perfect. Um, But it's true what he said. None of us are good. None of us are good. Christ didn't die for good people. Christ died for lost, hopeless sinners, bound for hell, hopeless without him. That's who he died for. Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, the last part of verse 3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He died for us. He was buried, and on the third day He rose again. How do we know this? We know this by the inspired Word of God as God reveals it to us. We are, listen folks, we are not okay. We, we were not okay. If you're born again now, you may still not be okay, but you may be right with God. But, but this thing of, well, well, I'm okay. I hear lost people say, I'm good. Me, me, everything's good with me and the big man upstairs. No, it ain't. Not if you call him the big man upstairs. There's something wrong with your theology. That is God Almighty. He ain't my homeboy. He's your creator God. Now, he is my friend, but he is my God. We're not okay. Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name Jesus Christ. It is only through Him. And so we know from the Word of God, the Word of God reveals this. It reveals where we're from. It reveals where we're at. It reveals our greatest need for salvation. It reveals who God is. It reveals His love for us and how He expressed that love in sending His Son, Jesus. And it reveals to us the way of salvation. And it is through what Christ did for us Everything is done. He offers eternal life. You hear the word of God. He convicts your heart and he draws you. Now, what will you do with that? It's on you. Will you respond? Will you respond to what God's doing? He has told you you're a lost sinner, but I've died for you. I'm offering you eternal life. I'm speaking to your heart. I've convicted you of your sin. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to sit there and push me off or are you going to respond and receive what I've offered you? We confess our sin. We acknowledge our lostness and our hopelessness. We repent of doing it our way and we turn to Christ. And we know this through the Word of God. And then Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead... You will be saved. There's a promise from the Word of God right there. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why the Word of God is so important. And it's so important that we preach it, and that we teach it. And we share it every chance with everybody we can. Amen? Amen. Pastor Aaron, if you and the team will come. Just this morning, the, the invitation is very simple. First of all, this morning, if, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have that assurance that if you, if you drop dead before this service is over, if you don't have assurance of where you'll spend eternity, then you know what? You need to get that nailed down this morning. That is, this is not something to play with. I, I, I hear so often, I'll deal with that later. I'll take care of that later. I'll deal with God later. No, you don't get to do that. When He calls you, 
You know, the Bible says unless the, the Spirit draws you, you cannot be saved. It, the, the Holy Spirit of God, as He convicts, you've heard the word. Don't think you're laying on a deathbed or, or, or that last moment before your car goes over whatever, that you at that point can just come to God as you want to. When He's drawing you, you need to respond then. Maybe today you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I, I, would, I would, as Paul has said, I would plead with you to deal with that today. And so the, the, the invitation here in just a moment, the invitation's for you. And, and we're not going to have you sit there and raise your hand and pray some words. I'm going to challenge you with if you want to be born again, you step out of there and you come down here and let's take the Word of God and introduce you to Jesus Christ today. And it's simple. It doesn't matter what anybody else in here is doing or thinking. It doesn't matter. This is between you and God. And it's the only thing at stake is all of eternity. That's all. It's huge. Now, for those of us in here that are believers, where are you with the Word of God? Do you need to go back and, and, and this is a Bible. Do you need to be reintroduced to the Word of God? Do you need to come back and go, you know what, Lord, I have, I have neglected the most precious thing we have on this earth. Your Word. I've neglected it. Maybe this morning it's just a time for us to repent and to come back and go, Lord, I want to be a student of Your Word. I want to be faithful to your word. Reading books is good. I hear a lot of people read books. Read a lot of different books. Reading books is good. But reading books about the Bible, not near as good as reading the Bible. It's good to read them with it. Have some helps. Read the word of God. It transforms us. It changes us. So this morning, you know what God's doing in your life. You know what you need. You know where you're at. This is just a time you can come to this altar and pray. Maybe somebody wants to come and pray over some of these boxes up here. Maybe there's a lost person in your family that, that you want to pray for. You pray that God will change their heart. Whatever, whatever the need is in your life, whether you're right there or you come to this altar, I encourage you to go to the Lord this morning and give it to Him. Father, thank you. Thank you.